Launched back in 2011, grew to about 44 people, about 50 paying customers with annual selling prices are uh, around, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 enterprise higher, small business, obviously lower, uh, doing well over four, you know, 4.5 million bucks in month recurring revenue, sold for, uh, sorry, an annual recurring revenue, sold for around 50 million bucks uh, recently, about two, three months ago, now working to continue growing really back end as a service. It's really unique to almost drag and drop making front engine engineers, back end engineers without having to go through all the extra training and understanding all you know how the individual lines of code are written with the new company progress this is the top where i interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base you'll learn how much revenue they're making what their marketing funnel looks like and how many customers they have I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Shrawis Sridhar. He is the VP and general manager at a company called Convey Progress, which was previously, and he was previously the CEO and founder of Convey before it was acquired by the company. Again, that company that acquired them was called Progress. He's also an angel investor in multiple startups with successful exits. Shrawis, are you ready to take us to the top? That would be a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Of course. So uh, you just sold the company. Tell me, when, when, did, that, when did that acquisition close? Uh, the acquisition closed in June 1st of this year, and we announced it on uh, June 28th. June 28th of 2017. So good. So that helps me get some context there. Take us back, though, before the acquisition. What's the company do, and how do you make money? Uh, Kinvey does what's called backend as a service. We coined the phrase and created this category, and now it's a thing. And backend as a service is essentially a cloud platform for the new generation of apps, mobile apps, tablet apps, responsive web apps, et cetera. Uh, to use as a backend. So we're everything that sits behind the scenes that an application interacts with. So give me an example of a customer using you today. So for example, Schneider Electric, which is a large manufacturer of various energy-related equipment, have all sorts of apps to interact with this hardware, to interact with employees, to interact with customers, et cetera. Uh, and so you, they use Kinvey as the backend platform to conduct various features that an app needs, such as logging in a user, accessing data, managing all the analytics of the application, uh, sending push notifications, everything that an app does from an interaction standpoint, we're the backend for Schneider Electric. Do you kind of bundle up chunks of code and put it in a way that anyone who doesn't know how to code could understand and then also drag and drop it together to get the end result they want? That's exactly right. We, you know, one of the phrases we use is we make every front-end developer become a back-end developer. Yeah. So we give them SDKs that they can plug in into their app, and these SDKs interact with various back-end services and make it all really easy and drag-and-drop so that 
developers don't have to learn backend skills. They can just focus on the experience and build the experience. Now, what's the average customer paying you per month for this kind of service? Yeah, we have three classes of customers. The first is uh, people that are building apps as a hobby or as a trial, and these customers either pay us nothing, so we have a freemium model, or they pay us $200 a month. Uh, the next class of customer is what we call business edition. So this is a business that is typically just doing one app. Uh, and these customers, because they have higher SLA requirements and more feature-rich requirements, they pay us on an average about $24,000 a year per application Sorry, per year. Sorry, how much? $24,000. $24,000. And then we have large enterprise customers uh, like Schneider Electric, Farmers Insurance, et cetera, um, that have what we call Enterprise Edition, which is a pretty sophisticated version of the platform. Uh, and that's usually about six figures a year, for okay. instance. And if I had to force you, just so we don't have to talk about three different cohorts every single time, if I had to force you to come up with an average, would it be in that middle range, like 15 to yeah. 20K? It'll probably be in the $80,000 a year. Uh, that kind of range? We have, yeah, we have significantly more enterprise customers than we do business edition and startup customers. So it's probably in the... 80 to 90k a year is probably our ASP. Okay. And t talk to me before the acquisition, obviously, did you decide to bootstrap this company or did you raise capital? No, when I came up with the idea and really did the research, I came to the conclusion very early on that to truly build this out as a platform, it would require venture capital because building out all the backend services that developers would need takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, and so very early on, I decided this was this had to be a classic venture backed platform company. And so we, um, I funded the company for the first year on my own just to do the market validation and the research and so on. How but, much did you put in? Uh, $150,000. Okay. But once I, once we achieved a, a, a solid thesis and had a prototype in place, um, it was pretty clear that this had to be a, a venture backed company. And how much have you raised to date? Uh, so we raised a total of about $18 million uh, over a period of six years before the acquisition. Got it. So you founded the company back in 2011? That's right. Okay. And do you remember what first year revenue was? Uh, we haven't disclosed uh, revenue numbers. Oh, come on. That was like that was, that's like 10 years ago, though. I'm just curious what first year uh, revenue was. But, but I'll give you the, the overarching sort of how we scaled the business. So it took us about a year, year and change, about a year and three months to get the product out the door. Because again, since we were building a platform with lots of services in it, uh, it took a lot of time to to get the market, to get the right product out the door. So for the first year, we had no revenue. We we're just focusing on the product. Uh, and then for the second year, we launched it out and just got developers to use the free version of the platform. So we made some revenue in like, you know, four to five figures a month yep. uh, because it's part of our freemium model. But the whole goal was to get build a developer community. But it was actually in late 2013 that we really started going after the enterprise model. So it's only then that we, so for the second half of 2013, we were doing about, we did about high six figures that year. Uh, and then we got into the millions of dollars starting in 2014. Okay, that's helpful. So just to be clear, in 2013, let's say 700, 800, 900,000-ish in total revenue, and you broke the million dollar mark in 2014. That's right. That's Got right. it. Okay, that's really helpful. Um, uh, One million bucks. And then, so take me back to kind of more your backstory here, because in your bio, you said you're an angel investor. You've done this many, many times. Uh, where, like, how do you decide... You know, remove your, yourself from Convey for a second. How do you decide what to do with your capital? Where to invest it? You know, why put 150 grand into a new company instead of going and putting that, you know, 10, you know, 15, $10,000 investments in a bunch of your favorite startups? 
Yeah, my intention is to do both, right? I'll always continue to invest in companies that I build. Uh, but the reason I uh, invest in startups is, is primarily divided into two parts. The first part is um, it gives me an opportunity to learn new markets and also learn about new problems and new strategies that startups are putting in place. So it's selfishly, it's a, it's a way to learn new things as I observe other startups do things. And then the second reason I invest in startups is purely a you know part of my financial portfolio. Uh, is carving out a percentage of assets and invest in startups as part of a portfolio management theory. What do you like to keep? And obviously, we don't know your total net worth, so we won't actually know the number on this. But just relationship-wise, what percentage of your portfolio do you like to have exposed to startup investing? Yeah, so I think about it purely as a numbers game. So, uh, And partly, I think of it as numbers game because I also try to be pretty involved in helping the startups that I invest in. So I try to do about one investment a quarter, so about four for a year, uh, and it's usually anywhere from fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars per investment. Yep. Uh, it's usually part of the first money that goes into a company, so it's convertible super note. stage. Yeah, it's it's about fifty percent of the time it's a convertible note. Fifty percent of the time it's a small price round. Uh, but yeah, so that's the kind of capital that I put put in. Play. You have a location uh, focused or no? No, I don't. It's it's usually it's usually based on. I typically look at it across three areas. One is. I like to meet the, talk to the founders and get comfortable with the team. Uh, I want to make sure that these are people that will really grind it out and because startup is really, really hard journey. So I have to get a sense that these are people that really grind it out and it's purely uh, completely subjective based on conversations. The second is it's a space that I have to find interesting. Uh, it's I don't really necessarily make a judgment on how big a space it could be or you know what the TAM is and so on. It's just a, a space and an idea that I find interesting. TAM is totally addressable market, guys, if you're not familiar. Yep. And the third is um, I have to believe that I can really help this company find customers or find um, employees that will come and work with them or find partners or in some cases – I can help the company find potential acquirers in the future. So it's it's a combination of how can I really help the go-to-market or the partnership uh, or recruiting or potential acquirers of the company. If I feel I can do some of those things, uh, then I usually invest in the company. Makes good sense. Now, for shifting the focus back to Convey, so uh, you grew it obviously over you know since 2011. Uh, right before the acquisition, where were you in terms of total customers you were serving? Uh, so what we announced as part of the acquisition was we had over 50 enterprise customers, global enterprise customers, um, uh, as part of our enterprise edition, business edition. Uh, and like I said, the SP was, you know, in that $80,000 range. And, you know, we were at a point at which analysts, people like Gartner, Forrester, et cetera, had considered Convey to be the best product in its space. So Forrester, for example, as part of their wave process, uh, ranked us as the number one product for mobile development platforms. So, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I can't resist doing the math because you've given me the numbers. So, if you have an $80,000 ASP on average, obviously you have different cohorts, and you have at least 50 enterprise customers, I mean, you were doing well over, call it $4 million annually at that point, correct? That's what the math would say, but the, the numbers are different than, than that analysis. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we were at a point at which... Well, wait, sure. Uh, we why, why, are the, to... why are the numbers different? Those are just numbers you gave me. I just multiplied them. Where are they different or why would they be wrong? Right. So the, the, three, the three things that you take into account also is then you have expansion revenue because we had, as a business, we had 
very little churn. Uh, we have very, very high retention rates. What is very high retention so, in your business? So we had about 98% um, uh, retention rate for our business. Logo uh, retention or revenue retention? Both. Uh, revenue retention was all was moving towards expansions by 80% of our customers expanded revenue within the first year. Okay. Uh, part of the reason was they were consuming more capabilities of the product, but they were also doing more and more apps. Um, and so when you look at ASP, you're typically, we used, we convey used ASP more as a metric from uh, the time we closed the first logo. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also had significant expansion business because as you can imagine, all these enterprises, because they're global in nature, they'll end up doing many more apps. They'll also deploy multiple instances of Kinvay globally. So Sarvish, uh, what, I, what I hear you tell me, you were doing, it wasn't less than, you were doing more than that $4 million AR mark. Right. Got it. Cool. And then it was public, uh, well, at least CNBC reported, it was about a $50 million acquisition by by the company. Is that accurate? That's right. Okay, yeah. good. So, so um, were your, I mean, generally speaking, the $18 million that you raised, were your investors pretty much on board with this or were you still in control of the company to the point where you could make the decision by yourself? Uh, it was a combination of both. We had a pretty small board and, you know, with the board had worked together for about four and a half, five years. And so there was a lot of trust amongst all the board members. And so, you know, at the end of the day, as the founder of the company, um, the you know, responsibility was on me to decide how we wanted to take the business. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they had their responsibility to also represent the shareholders correctly. And, and I took that pretty seriously as well. And so I think it was a combined decision on, you know, once we had the option to look at, look at um, uh, an M&A path, um, I think we all spent the time and the effort to do it the right way. How'd that start? Uh, was that inbound or out or you went out looking for a deal? Uh, it was inbound as part of a, we were doing a funding process. Uh, and we were introduced to a whole bunch of strategic investors. And yep. so the funding process sort of morphed into an M&A process over time. Are you a killer? Did you say, listen, guys, I've got these terms from VCs. They're valuing me at 50 million. You have to at least offer me 50 million to get me to walk away from these term sheets. You know, I, I, I have a different philosophy about these <laughs> things. I, you know, that is a strategy I've heard a lot, but I have a different philosophy about these things. You know, I think... Whether it's sales deals or M&A deals, they're done with people. And so I try not to play these games. I'm pretty upfront with people in these discussions. So when we had people saying, look, we'd prefer to buy you, um, instead of sort of playing off one versus the other, I basically just sat down with each person and said, we had some internal discussions about an M&A process. And now that there's interest, we're going to evaluate uh, any offer based of three vectors. The first vector is obviously the price. The second vector is how much of a strategic fit is conveyed to your go-forward business and how are you going to treat the product and its customers? And number three is how are you going to uh, retain and nurture the employee pool? Um, and we're going to take all three into account before we make the business. And so, you know, whatever offer and conversations you want to have, uh, I personally, as the CEO of the company, I'm going to evaluate all three equally. Now, other parts of the board members might 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 weight things differently, but I'm looking at it as third, third, third. Uh, and you know, we really had good conversations with all the potential acquirers on you know how they were thinking about these three. And I'm really proud of the fact that we found somebody with progress that that really, you know, we are part of the go forward business. What was uh, the team size before the acquisition? Uh, so we were about 44 people. Did they all stay? Everyone has stayed, and we're actually now 
we've gotten more people from Progress on board. We've actually hired more people. We're actually closer to about 65, 70 now, actually. That's so. great. That's really great. And how how many folks did you have kind of putting in M&A offers? Uh, we had multiple options on the table. I, you know, I'm not in a position to share the numbers because that, that was pretty confidential, but uh, we had uh, multiple combination of verbal and written offers um, at the table, and we were in a position where it took us, you know, a solid two and a half, three months to really figure out what it is that we wanted to do. Um, did you do, did price end up really winning in terms of the three vectors and the weight you put on each one? In other words, was there an offer that might have been higher, but because you thought it was a better fit for the team or the product strategically, you took a lower kind of cash offer? No, I think to Progress's credit, they matched the best offer. Got it. Um, so I think they gave a very, very competitive offer. But I think um, where I thought, where I saw them shining above and beyond everybody else was number one, um, the way they treated the employees was phenomenal, the best. Are you guys based uh, in then, the same city, by, or where are you guys based? It's all in the greater Boston area. They're, they're Progress headquartered in Bedford, Massachusetts, and. Kinvey was headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts, oh, about, you know, 45 minutes away. And um, the entire cognitive application strategy that Progress has, uh, Kinvey is the bedrock for, you know, how that platform is going to evolve. So, um, you know, in some other cases, uh, certain companies wanted to sort of piecemeal Kinvey up, uh, weren't really sure whether it was hugely strategic or not. In some cases, it was a defensive acquisition. Um, I really, you know, I think everybody here at Progress is very proud of the fact that Kinvey can help with the go-forward strategy. And then conversely, the Kinvey employers are pretty psyched that, you know, we're now part of a larger company, much larger customer ecosystem, more resources, et cetera. Yep. Now, when you talk about growth, and I think back to pre-acquisition on this, you have a pretty high ASP. What were you willing to spend? What was your CAC to acquire those customers? Uh, so we had a we had a direct sales model. So we had you know enterprise sales reps um, that were trying to get these big deals done. Um, and so the ASP, um, I think if I remember right, some of the metrics were around. It was about uh, ninety-five to one hundred thousand uh, dollars cost of co customer acquisition costs. Yep. Uh, for about an eighty to eighty-five thousand dollar ASP, but the lifetime value of the customer was about two point one, two point two million. And customers became profitable by the end of the first year. Yeah, it sounds like there. So your payback period there is like 13 or 14 months pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now how did you how did you forecast that $2.2 million lifetime value? You obviously are taking your first year contract value, multiplying times expansion revenue and trying to predict what happens in year three, four, five, six, et cetera. How do you get to the 2.2 number? And, 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 you know, the numbers sort of changed over time because part of the function you have to also take into account is what is the lifetime of this customer, right? And so uh, we, you know, with 98% retention, we really weren't losing customers. And so we were basically, you know, initially we started off with, let's just assume customer will be with us for a year. Then we slowly pushed out to a year and a half. Then we moved it out to two years. And then I think at, at, at exit, we're probably assuming a three, 3.2 year, because we also started doing multi-year deals. So the mo business model Paid also matured where- uh, in some cases paid up front, but mostly it was committed contracts yep. paid yearly. Um, and At the so end of the year or beginning of the year? It was beginning of the year. So the first year was paid up front. Um, and so when we started doing multi-year contracts, then the, then the uh, ability for us to even be even more aggressive 
with how long customers stay with us, right? Because we had committed contracts in place. Now, a guy like you that likes working with startups and you've had many successful companies in the past, imagine you get antsy, especially if you end up working for somebody else. So two questions on this, and obviously you have to tiptoe a little bit here, but are you at, or was one of the parts of the deal, you personally being on a kind of earn out schedule where you have to stay at the company for a certain period of time? Yeah, one of the things I really appreciated about Progress um, was they didn't think about employee retention from an earner perspective. They truly thought about it from a retention perspective. Mm -hmm. So I thought what I thought the thing that they did really well was was treat the investors and the stock option holders as part of a payout on deal close. Mm -hmm. And then really be thoughtful about how to retain employees with retention mechanisms, right? Things like RSUs, employee bonuses. So explain how an R explain that's a new term for most of my audience. Explain how an RSU works. So RSU stands for restricted stock units. Essentially, it's it's the the you know let's say you're granted 100 RSUs vests over three years, so you get 33.3 RSUs every year. Uh, at the end of the first year, you have the ability to you're immediately given. Um, the stock of the company that's worth uh, whatever those 33 RSUs were worth when the when the uh, grant was given to you. So, you know, uh, one of my HR people call it coupons for cash. So unlike stock options where there's a exercise price and you get the delta and so on, you're essentially given X amount of dollars um, in terms of stock every three years. And you don't have to write a check or anything like that because you're, you're not exercising the stock. You still have to pay taxes on it, right? You still have to pay taxes, and typically it's deducted um, as part of the grant. Got it. But the important thing there is, you know, I think, so everybody here at Convey is incented, in my opinion, the right way, right? You're incented that we're going to make your job fun. You're going to work on interesting projects. You're going to be motivated because you, you really want to work at the company. It's not tied to some artificial handcuffs, right? Yep. Which I think is a wrong culture. So before we wrap up with the famous five, just to be clear, the press reported 50 million kind of deal price. If you decide to leave right now for whatever reason, family emergency, something crazy you didn't expect, that deal price is basically still the same. That was all kind of done on day one, and they've done some creative things retention-wise now with all the employees, including you. That's right. Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, set up reminders like snooze almost to keep your inbox clean, do things like send auto follow-ups and do open tracking so you know when your emails get opened. It's great if you're in sales or CEO or trying to be more productive. So listen, I bought the whole company on the spot and I wanna tell you how I did it. I've showed the deal, by the way, to big, smart people, private equity firms, VCs, and they're dumbfounded. They go, Nathan, how did you do this? We've never seen a deal like this. How did you do this? So I did an unbelievable deal and I wanna show you the income report. So for me to send you the income report, go to www.thetopinbox.com click the red button that says install this on Gmail. And when you do that, my email will appear. It'll appear in a little uh, Gmail pop-up window. Send me an email and I'll reply immediately with the income report. And you can see how I'm buying and growing small B2B SaaS companies. That's www.thetopinbox.com. Totally free to try and use. www.thetopinbox.com. All right, let's wrap up with the famous five surveys. This will be fun. Number one, what's your favorite business book? 
crossing the chasm. Jeffrey Moore, that's a good one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um, there's a gentleman called Matt Barbet, who's the CEO of Playstar. He's a friend of mine. Um, and I'm really digging in deep in how he's scaling his business. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like HostGator? If this, then that. That's a good one. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, seven to eight. And what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? Uh, wonderful wife, and we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh, wow. Okay, you have your hands full. How old are you? Uh, 36. All right, last question. Take us back 16 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Wow. Uh, that I would never become a movie actor. Why? Did you try? I wanted to. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, there you go. Have it from Shravi. She chose the right course of action, I think, <laughs> <laughs> with Convey. Launched back in 2011. Grew to about 44 people. About 50 paying customers with annual selling prices are uh, around, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100,000. Enterprise higher, small business obviously lower. Uh, doing well over four, you know, 4.5 million bucks in month recurring revenue. Sold for, uh, sorry, in annual recurring revenue. Sold for around 50 million bucks uh, recently, about two, three months ago now working to continue growing really back end as a service it's really unique to almost drag and drop making front engine engineers back end engineers without having to go through all the extra training and understanding all you know how the individual lines of code are written with the new company progress Sravish, thank you for taking us to the top thank you so much Nathan.